Waiting is the enemy of growth. Of course, be prepared, do what you need to, but don't make perfection your standard. Lower your standards, expectation minimalism, rather than wait, aiming for 100%, aim for 60%. Aim for 60, do what you can. It gives you room to learn and grow, which is the most beautiful thing you can do. Hey guys, welcome to the Tom Ward Show, where every week we talk with the most successful people in the world who teach us how to elevate our lives. It's time to level up. And today we have Shade Zarai. She's an award-winning leadership strategist and global peak performance educator to Fortune 500 companies. And she runs Influencio Global Inc. with her husband. It's a leadership development consulting and research firm that works with some of the world's largest and most respected companies. And I love this. Her mission is to empower people to overcome their self limits and confidently create a life worth living. I think that is something we can all be a part of. Now, I was looking at your content. I look at your TikTok content and you know, your goal. We just talked about your mission. I think that's something we all share in common, right? Every one of us, we wake up, we want to have a great day. <laughs> you know, we think about our lives. We want to be successful. We want to be happy. But very few of us, whatever that version is to that person, but very few of us are there. Now, I've watched some of your, you know, I've watched your long form video, I've watched your short form, everyone follow your, your TikTok, which is unreal, I love it. What are those roadblocks, you've coached a million people, what are some major roadblocks you see time and time again that are getting in the way of people achieving that greatness in their yeah, lives? You, look you're so right that you know when we talk to people, regardless of whether it's through the Fortune 500s that we work with or all these people across social media, we keep hearing this common frustration, which is, I want more. I want to be more confident. I want more money. I want to have more success in my business. So there's this constant feeling of underperforming, whether that's in relationships and business in life. And so the work that we do with companies primarily, and then that translates over into the work we do with individuals, we really focus our attention on studying the psychological and performance experiences of high potential individuals. And Tom, I'd argue, if anyone's following you and listens to what you do, they're in that bucket, they're high potential, they want more. And For what sure. we found is that the central driver of sustained performance is actually the quality of a person's inner world. Their self-perception, their emotional state, their motivations, how positively they view themselves. And these elements can either propel someone to achieve great heights or completely confine them to limitations. So we've got this common universal frustration, they're underperforming, and one of the most prominent hurdles that we've identified is self-doubt. It's this powerful, deflating, paralyzing force. And the thing with self-doubt is that the typical ways that we deal with it often end up making it worse and make us feeling worse and then it feeds it, which creates this cycle of insecurity. So we're engaging in these habits that we don't realize we're doing that are making it worse for us, the way that like we what? think, the way that we act. Okay, so let me take you through because we've identified three dominant habits based on where someone is getting stuck. Let me take you through them and I'll see Tom right. if you relate to any of them. Let's see. And probably then I can all give of them. Go ahead. Probably. <laughs> hey, I relate to all of them. I feel like the work I do is really just helping me understand myself. The best kind of work. All right. So we call them mind pits because they originate in the mind. You know, they're, they're self-limiting. The first one is failure to launch. So the pit of failure to launch is where you might have all these amazing goals. You want to achieve amazing things, but you just can't get started. Now, a lot of people find themselves here. They've got these aspirations. They know what they want. You know, I want more. They've got business ideas. They're saving Instagram posts, but they never take action. And especially when it comes to the world of social media, entrepreneurs, people who want to build profile, they're in this endless consumption stage, endless preparation. I need to learn a little bit more and do a little bit more research and then I'll feel ready. But then they never take action. Why? Rumination, overthinking. What could go wrong? What if no one likes it? What if I fail? And then this leads us to feel paralyzed. Now, our brain has a tendency to fixate on what's wrong, what's missing and what the threats are or what we perceive threats to be because from a biological perspective, that increases our chances of survival. We have a negativity bias. But of course, in the world that we live in, 
many of these threats are not real threats. They're just things that we're conjuring in our mind, the what ifs. And then we fixate on them. And then guess what? We do not take action. Tom, have you ever experienced this? A hundred. Well, yes and no. My thing with <laughs> self-doubt is it's really, and I'm sure you'll get to this. It's really a distorted perception of myself where, and we'll get in the inner critic. I am constantly, it, my inner critic is like the most tyrant boss you could ever imagine that is mm. just screaming at me all day. So for me, I need other people. I have a distorted view of myself. So I need somebody objective, whether it's my wife or a therapist or a friend to go, Tom, what are you talking about? You're, you're overly qualified to do the thing you're talking about. Of course you can do it. Like, just go. What is wrong with you? That's kind of, that's what my self-doubt's all about. Yeah, interesting. So it's almost like if you are ever stuck in failure to launch, you need that external person to validate and say, hey, you're right, you've got this, you can do it. And then it allows you to overcome that inner critical voice. And so with yep. failure to launch, it's driven by an internal voice that we hear. And we'll cover that because uh, there's so okay. much there in the world of inner critics and, and what we hear ourselves saying to ourselves. Now, I want to give a quick little tip for anyone who is in this pit. If you're not taking action, again, you know what your goals are, but you're just not moving forward on them. There is a researcher by the name of Peter Golwitzer. He's a psychologist. And he developed this fantastic, uh, how do we say it? He, he essentially did a lot of research on what allows someone to achieve their goals versus what holds someone back. And he found that those who actually move forward and take action, they do three things. They specify the time when they're going to get started, the location where they'll do it, and the behavior what they're going to do. And they will often have these phrases of at this time in this location, I will do this. And it holds them accountable. It's almost like you're holding your critic accountable. And then you just have to do it. Perfection is the thief of joy. It's the thief of growth. And so often that self-doubt, that critic is saying, don't do it because you're not going to be perfect. And then people will judge you. And then, you know, it again highlights all the risks. So you just have to do it. Don't let perfect get in the way of good enough for now. Embrace the messiness and lower your standards. One <laughs> thing that we do, we have yes. really high standards for ourselves, right? Of we course. think we're going to be amazing the first time we do it. And then if we don't believe we're going to be amazing, we don't do it. But nope. actually, it's called expectation minimalism. Just lower your standards. That way, yep. if you set your standard at 60% and you do it and 60%, hooray, there is room for growth. So I really simple. I talk to creators all the time to yeah. like, interview big YouTubers, social media people. And that's always their advice to the person who, maybe the person who's watching this right now, it's like, I want to start a YouTube channel. I want to start a podcast. And they do exactly what you're talking about. You know, it's got to be perfect. I don't have the right equipment. And their advice for them is always just start. It's going to be shitty when you start. I don't care. Yes. It's always going to be, you go back and look at my first video and they're a big superstar. Now they go, it's horrible. I privated it. You can't even watch it because it's that bad. <laughs> yes. My equipment was bad. The lighting looked horrible, but you get a little better every time. Exactly. And you know, it's really, it's interesting when you think about that, because if you go and invest in all of the tech and, and have the amazing setup, it's still going to be shitty. So you might as well start with the shittiness when everything is shitty. My journey on social media, so a quick little detour. It was March of 2020, and I had just left a 10-year corporate career. My husband and I were in Australia at the time. We were going to relocate to Southeast Asia, expand the business. And then within one week from when I left my role to when our flight was booked, the whole pandemic hit and there were international restrictions. And so our plan got completely flipped upside down. Our business was then essentially dead because all of the clients we were working with now had canceled their engagements with us or it was per, you know, permanently postponed. So we're thinking, what do we do? We're now, we ended up being in, I think it was the, the world's longest lockdown outside of China in, in terms of the city we were in. So we're twiddling our thumbs thinking, what are we supposed to do? I got onto TikTok. I created 40, I'm gonna call them shitty videos. It, only in the sense, look, the, quality, uh, the content wasn't shitty. The setup was you know, filmed on my phone. Lighting wasn't great. I had a little microphone, but by all means, not the standard I do now. But I created 40 videos in one day, filmed them. Sorry, I wrote the scripts in one day, filmed them the next day. I just changed my outfit, same background, <laughs> which meant I had 40 days worth of content to put on TikTok and I could not back out. So I set up myself in a way that I, I essentially didn't have an excuse. I've recorded it, I've done the work, I've got to just do it, that's batching. And 
thank goodness I did that because that completely transformed our lives, our business on day 21. For the first 21 days, no one was really, there was no traction. Day mm -hmm. 21, something magical happened. One of the videos captured the attention of the algorithm, went viral. Within four weeks, there were 75,000 followers there. Wow. Within a number of, I think a number of months, we were at 200,000 plus, and it's just grown all from those first 40 videos. So embrace the shittiness, embrace the messiness, lower those expectations. And Time out on that real quick. Okay. <laughs> you are different than most people. So, okay, let me go back to you now. What makes you different than the person who was in lockdown who thought, hey, I can't get out. Hey, I want to start creating content. And they never did anything. You go like mm. balls out type A who, who writes scripts for yeah. 40 videos. Never. Maybe you, <laughs> you film one to start. I don't know. Yeah. I did. I didn't come out with 40. It was. You got 40 filming all the next day. Bam. I got content. You're looking at this in a whole different level. Obviously, you've done a lot of work on yourself and, you know, in this field that you're in. So what made you do that? where the other person didn't. Is that kind of what we were talking about with the self-doubt or what makes you yeah. operate differently? Oh, absolutely. So I've had a lot of years of self-awareness development. So really turning in and understanding, you know, I used to be a huge perfectionist. I wouldn't apply for something until I was sure I was going to get it. I wouldn't try something unless I knew that it was going to do well. And I think for me, a lot of that came because I spent so long in the corporate world, which was very much you know, I sh showed up every day feeling like I had to leave a part of myself at home and just felt like I had to conform. So I carried that with me. When it got to this situation, I think there was one unique piece of the puzzle, which I don't take for granted. At the time, I was not on TikTok. So I didn't have an existing community on TikTok, which meant I didn't really care how those people saw me because I had no relationship with them. So the risk factor, I think one of the biggest reasons why people hold themselves back is what will people think of me? What will the people that I know already that already follow me on social or have me in their circle, what will they think of what I'm doing? And if there's now, any you didn't, it, of, now, if you, you might, not, you wouldn't have posted that on Instagram 40 no, days in a row. Cause exactly, that's your friends, family, yes. ex coworkers, you know, they would all so see the, that every day. <laughs> Exactly. That potential scrutiny factor was much higher on for Instagram sure. and even LinkedIn. So we share our content now on LinkedIn. That was a big transition for me, though, because my LinkedIn was full of my corporate contacts who viewed me as this uh, this person that fit the mold. So that was kind of the other thing. But and, you know, Tom, going back to your piece around validation, I have for many years and I think many can relate to this. We have almost been raised to seek the validation of others from a young age. I mean, as children, we seek the validation of our parents to make sure that what we're doing is okay. Is it safe? We're constantly looking at them. And then also when you have parents that you want to, you know, you don't want to let them down, you want to make them proud, that's a form of validation. Now, I don't think validation is a bad thing. Let me explain what I mean by that. It's bad when it becomes a need and when your sense of self-worth is dependent on it. So if someone disagrees with you, do you feel like they're disagreeing with who you fundamentally are and do you take it personally? Or are you able to separate yourself from that? That's when it's damaging. But the reality is validation is what allowed me to realize, hey, people are responding on TikTok. This is a good thing. I'm going to keep doing it. If people were not validating in the sense of liking and following, after 40 days, I would have said, okay, well, I gave it a good shot. It's not for us. Let's take our attention elsewhere. So I think a big part of it is how we think about validation and then how we feel in response to it. If at the end of the 40 days, no one responded to these videos and I felt like that was a reflection of me, I was being rejected. I'm not good enough, damaging, dangerous, you know, related to self-doubt. So yep. it's this constant reminder of, hey, I am enough. What I do is not a really a reflection of my worthiness and my value. It's just a manifestation of something that I do. And I can always shift that and pivot that. In fact, that's a sign of growth and development, being able to shift and pivot. Uh, but I think, yeah, validation. I mean, I still need somebody. When I am giving a keynote presentation to an audience of thousands or a webinar in front of tens of thousands around the world, I like to check in with my client afterwards and ask, how did that land? Can of I course. get feedback? Because we don't know. So again, when we can come at it from the perspective of, hey, I want to learn, I want to grow, let me know your thoughts. And then if it's not positive, we don't take it personally. We just think, okay, how can I learn from this? 
How can I pivot? That's actually a, a really healthy thing. Now, you just touched on something. I know we were talking self-doubt and we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but you just made me think of something when you said, you know, it's it's okay to get feedback and, you know, to seek approval, you know, in, in certain instances is kind of a healthy thing. I give, you know, people are paying me to get up and talk. It makes sense to ask them at the end, how did I do? What can I do different? Okay, that's a normal thing. But I just recently went through back surgery. I was super active most of my life and like, I had to get a disc replaced like 20 years. My doctor's like, well, you're like 20 years like before you should even be here. I'm like, doc, I'm a kind of an advanced guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we speed things up around here, yeah. right? But the point of this is, so I work my ass off up until surgery. So I have content, I've got articles written, I got all the stuff I have to do, right? So I know I'm going to be kind of holed up for a little bit. Now, the first couple weeks after uh, I'm home, I'm on medication, it's kind of making me drowsy. What do I do instead of letting my body rest? And I drink a, a big coffee and I take my laptop out to work because I'm so tied to being productive. That's how I'm happy and that's how I feel good about myself. If I'm not productive, if I'm not working, I ain't good. You know, I'm a piece of shit. I'm lazy. You know, mm. what am I doing? And I think a lot of people, I heard you talk about that too. Was there a word for that? You you mentioned, you were talking about that, about how- Productivity really, guilt? Yes, that's exactly what it was. I never heard yeah. that before. What is that? Do a lot of people suffer from that? Yeah, so when we, so firstly, I'm, how, are you, how is your recovery going? <laughs> it's good. You know, I finally, yeah? it took about two weeks of this, finally yeah. I just said, screw it. I'm accepting, I am where I am. I got to take care of myself. I, you know, if I got, if I got to rest, I got to rest. Like, or this is going to take longer than it should. So yes. after about two weeks, I finally, you know, came to my senses, I should <laughs> only say. only took you so, two weeks. At least you got there. Two... That's the main thing. <laughs> I've never been a quick learner, but I learned eventually. Yeah. But you learn and that's the main thing. It is. Yes. Uh, no, it's a really good question. So when it comes to productivity guilt, this is the feeling or a mindset of feeling bad, feeling guilty when you're not working, producing, creating. And there is this guilt that we feel that, especially when it comes to money. So this is a really interesting space. A lot of people feel like if they're making money, they need to be working. They need to be earning it. And so it's, it can be challenging for a lot of people who are in positions where they end up becoming quite successful. They feel like, oh, I'm making more money. I need to just work more so that we have the balance in my mind because that's what I've been taught ever since a young age. Hard work allows you to earn. Because in our parents' generation, that's what it was. You go to work, sure. you do the hard yards, you come back and you know, make a good living for yourself. The world is completely different now, where it's not just time for money. People have jobs outside of their day jobs. They have multiple side hustles. They have main hustles. Completely different environment, but we were raised in a different world. And so a lot of our deeply held beliefs are still tied to that world that our parents grew up in. And this mm -hmm. is why so many people feel guilty when they stop working. It's related to one of the critics, which we'll get to when we talk about the critics. Okay. Uh, the, the, when we did an internal survey of our audience, we found 93% had experienced this guilt. So wow. you're not alone if okay, you experience good. it. And uh, yeah, it took you two weeks, but you got there and then you gave yourself what you needed. And a big part of productivity guilt is reminding yourself that if you have this tendency to want to work and be productive, a lot of the time when we feel that, it's because of the contribution we're making. Right, the work that we feel like the work that we do is valuable, and that's why we want to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. We want to keep having an impact. We want to contribute to the team or to the company that we're part of or we're running. In order for you to do that sustainably, see the break as part of your strategy, just like how when you go to the gym, if you keep going rep after rep after rep and you don't take breaks and you don't take days between for your muscles to regenerate and you're going to cause damage. Same thing applies to ourselves. And that's why so many people relate to burnout. Oh, I just got burnt out. I didn't give myself what I needed. And it's easy. We can talk about this. It's so much easier said than done because you know it rationally and yet you still feel it. And so mm -hmm. it's this ongoing, I always say it's never a destination. Life is a journey and our individual experience of life is a journey. And mm -hmm. we're constantly going to have to keep reminding ourselves, okay, what do I need to do now? What am I thinking? How do I overcome this? How do I reframe this? How can I get a second opinion right now? And these things can really help.
Now, the other thing too, I just want to talk about that too, when you talk about validation. So that's my thing. But the person watching this goes, Tom, okay, that's your own story. I got my own problems here. I think what a lot of people go through is tying self-worth and validation through likes and follows. Now talk about that and how do you get out of that? Yes. Okay. So when it comes to likes and follows, a lot of people who are driven by this need for that kind of validation. And look, it makes sense. You're investing time and energy to create something and share it with the world. Sure. You wanna know that it's having an impact. And then if it doesn't have an impact, you're the one who put in the time and energy to create it. So you then take it personally. Oh, people don't like me. They don't like my message or whatever that is. We need to change how we're perceiving things. Now, people who are in this, this state who are seeking the likes and follows, it's all often because they're stuck in the second mind pit, right? So we covered the first mind pit failure to launch. These are okay. people who are actually doing something. They're taking action. We call this mind pit treading water, where there are a lot of things you wanna do. You're kind of a little bit here and a little bit there and doing a bit of that one and doing some social here and then you've signed up for a business mastermind but you never really went because you didn't have the time. So you have a lot of half completed goals. A lot of aspirations, you've got half written or you know, you've read the first chapter of a million and one self-help books. You've got all these podcasts save, saved. You're treading water, but not going anywhere meaningful. You're exhausting yourself because of FOMO, fear of missing out. Yep. And when you're focused on the here and now, which is the, okay, I mean that in the, the not positive here and now, so that, okay, how many likes did this get? As opposed to what is the impact that I'm having over a year or what is the impact I can have in someone's life when they're seeing my content consistently when you get stuck in the here and now of okay I need the validation right now you're just going to exhaust yourself it's a long game it's a marathon it's not a sprint but I get it sometimes I post a video which took me a really long time to create and it flops and you think well did it flop because the video is bad or because people just don't like me the moment I start to think did it flop because people don't like me I just go and do something else Yep. Don't allow yourself to ruminate on that because that's just unhealthy. Just shift your attention to something else. What are the other pitfalls? Are there more pitfalls to self-doubt? There's one more. One more. What's the other so one? So the middle one was uh, treading water. And okay. if you're here, a big part of it is that you need to find the meaning in what you're doing. Now, really quickly, there's a really interesting study that was done. In 1987, there were two researchers, Valacher and Wagner. And they proposed a way to understand how we interpret and think about our actions. And there is a range from low level to high level. So low level identification of posting on social media is where you focus on the how of the action, the mechanism. I am putting my image or my video into Instagram and hitting you know, publish. That's the mm -hmm. low level identification. That is not motivating. And when you're focusing on that, you will focus on the likes because it's about that action. The high level is where you emphasize the why of the action, the purpose, the goal. What is your purpose in sharing that piece of content? Is it to get likes? Because if it is, you're doing the wrong thing entirely. But sure. if your goal is, hey, I wanna educate my audience, I wanna empower my audience, inspire my audience, create an environment where I can be a thought leader to have an impact on other people, you're going to find meaning, you're going to be more motivated, and then you're not going to be so tied up to the individual likes on this particular post. I mean, we know that, right? Find meaning and remind yourself of the why. When you then look at, oh, okay, some research has been done and it validates how important this is, it can help us think about it differently. So one other quick thing here as well, which I found really helpful, when I was doing the TikTok posting, I had allowed myself to visualize the worst case scenarios, which is really interesting because <laughs> those who are overthinkers will often get the guidance of don't think about your concerns, don't think about your worries, because you will manifest them into reality. Yeah, yeah. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it, when we look at a lot of the research is, if you have a worry, and Tom, you might have experienced this, when there's something that's concerning you, it will just stay in your mind and pop up at inconvenient times. It's almost like when you, it's like a, a kid. If you don't Go to that when the kid's saying, you know, listen to me, I want to show you this. They're just going to keep doing that. It <laughs> reminds me of um, Stewie from Family Guy. Mummy, mummy, sure. mama, mama, mum, mum. And then finally she's like, what? And then he runs away. <laughs> Same thing with our thoughts. Sometimes it's really helpful. And this is why journaling is really valuable. Get the thoughts onto paper. Don't allow them to be magnified in your brain. Give them a physical outlet because what that does is firstly, you can process them. Secondly, you can actually see so many of them irrational. 
Now, there is a concept called inversion, which comes from the pre... Uh, it's called the pre-mortem in the project management world. Okay. And what you do in is English, you think about doc? all... In English? Uh, uh, yes, in English, what does that mean? Yeah, let me explain. So it means you think about all the ways that your action could go wrong, okay. right? So, so when I was doing TikTok, I was thinking, well, no one couldn't respond. Uh, maybe someone, one of our clients will see it and think, oh gosh, how embarrassing. Maybe a friend will see it and think, oh goodness, how embarrassing. You come up with all the things that could realistically go wrong and then you troubleshoot. Well, what are you going to do if that happens? You're developing what's called an implementation intention. James Clear talks about this and it actually comes from uh, Peter Golwitz's work in goals. An implementation intention is a coping strategy. If this happens, well, what am I going to do? So if then... If this happens, then I will do that. If no one responds, then I will change my strategy and try a different approach. If a client sees it, then if they reach out to me, I'll just share that, yeah, we're reaching new audiences. Come up with your plan of attack if these things happen. And what you do is you remind yourself that no matter what happens, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out because you've already done it before it's happened. Secondly, sure. on that paper, if there is something that is really a serious risk, you will be made aware of that you can then seek the support that you need around that. Let's say you're investing a huge amount of money as capital in, in a startup. There is a risk around that. Be aware of the risk and then ask, okay, what do I need to do if that happens? It's not about manifesting a bad reality. It's actually just being very real and rational and bringing the rational brain back into the conversation because your critics will be all over it, highlighting the risks. You're not gonna, it's not gonna work. People are gonna criticize you. You're gonna look like an idiot. You need to bring the rationality back. So quickly jumping into the third pit, because this relates to something that you shared. So sure. if you feel productivity guilt, you have this inability to be still. Tom, this was you in the first two weeks after your surgery. 100%. You're just, yeah, you're just pushing yourself and you don't give yourself a break. You feel guilty when you stop. You also reach a goal and then you just immediately move to the next goal <laughs> and then the next one. Always. So you don't feel the satisfaction. You tell no. yourself, oh, I will feel amazing when I get there. No. And then you, you get there. You're like, okay, what's next? Yeah. 100%. You just, yeah. You finish the marathon. I finish a marathon. I go, okay, well, what's the next thing? I'm going to yes. do. Yeah. It is not helpful. Uh, so if you're here, it's driven by, and again, I'll talk about the inner critics. One of the critics we've identified is what we call the ringmaster. So the, the ringmaster is that voice in our heads that judges us for not working hard enough. It convinces us that we are not enough. So a lot of the time, this need to overwork comes from a feeling of not being enough and tying our sense of self to our achievements, to our goals, to our status and to working. So when we don't work, we feel like a part of us is missing and that's why it feels so unusual. And then we wanna just keep working. So the ringmaster, we, that's number four. I mean, they're, they're no particular order, but that's number four on our list of inner critics. I want to take you through the others because it's okay. really interesting once we uncover what are these voices, what is the, you know, what is the persona that they take on? Because then you might find that once you're aware of them, you start to become more cognizant of, oh, that is this voice speaking to me right now. That's this voice. And that in itself is really helpful because you realize it's not me. It is a part of me, but it's not, I don't need to obey it. I can choose to hear it, hear what it's saying, and then actually respond. So the first critic that we identified through these conversations we were having is the classic judge. Classic judge is that voice that just judges you endlessly. <laughs> Nothing you did was ever good enough. It judges what you did, what you didn't do, what you should have done. So that's sort of the default. The default voice is just the classic judge. The next one is what we call the protector. Now the protector's role is to protect you from harm. So it's actually the misguided protector. It wants to protect you from harm. Now what is harm when we're thinking sounds about like our lives? Sounds like a good lives? thing. Yeah. It does sound like a good thing. And a lot of people think it's a good thing because it does succeed in protecting you from harm when you listen to it. But hear how it plays out. It magnifies all of the risks of what could go wrong. You might fail. People may judge you. You might be criticized. You may look foolish. So don't do it. It's too risky. And when you listen to it, guess what? You are safe, but you're also stuck because you're not taking action. And paralyzing. so it completely is paralyzing. And safety and growth are almost on opposite ends of the spectrum. 
you can't be safe and growing. The whole premise of growth is being uncomfortable, feeling uncomfortable, and being in a position where you don't know how things are going to work out. So it's about becoming comfortable with that feeling of insecurity and the friction that comes with it because you know, hey, you're growing. So that's the second, the misguided protector. The third is the victimizer. The victimizer is a really interesting one because it leads you to feel like you are powerless to do anything, to change things, to change your situation, to speak up when there's an injustice. It leads you to blame other people, to become very critical of other people as a way to prevent yourself from having to take responsibility. The victimizer is not generally some, something that people say, oh yeah, that's me. But it's something that you might know someone else and go, oh yeah, that's you. <laughs> now, let's pause on that. that is that. A, that's exactly what I was thinking. Everyone I know who plays the victim is not self-aware. They have no idea that they're the victim. But everyone around yeah. them, anyone who interacts with them knows that. So yes. how does that person get in tune with, hey, wait, this is actually sounds like me. I mean, if if they're not attuned to that, do they... Is that the hardest one to kind of overcome? Oh, absolutely. And it's because of this lack of responsibility. So how the victimizer works is that it doesn't want you to take responsibility. So you blame everyone and everything else. And for you to become aware that you are playing into that requires you to take responsibility. So it's, it's competing with itself. And it can be the most challenging one for people to overcome because people don't know that they're in it. And mm. so when you come and try and give guidance or or advice or help to someone in this state they they feel like you're trying to undermine them and undermine yep. their sense of self-efficacy and so they don't take it well and it can cause friction in relationships it's one of the most challenging to be around because the people outside of them feel it oh for more sure. than the others so, so that's what do you the do yes so just on that real quick too because that, that brings up an interesting one and i'm sure everyone has is thinking when you said that an image popped in everyone's mind who's watching or listening to this, right? <laughs> so what do you do? There, is there anything the people around them can do or no? Because, I mean, I'm not a therapist. I've dealt with this. You know, I'm 45. I've dealt with this. people like this. Anytime you try to do it even in a constructive way, even a loving way, it comes off as an attack and you get fire right back. So yes. I kind of just gave up after. You know, yeah, and this is this. also what is, happens. What the can people you do? close it to them give up. There's yeah. two things I'd recommend. The first one is know that your interactions with this person are going to be draining and depleting. <laughs> know that beforehand, right? Be very real. I'm big on the pragmatic side of things. Just be aware of what the reality is. And so prepare yeah. yourself. Prepare yourself. Build up your energy. Do what you need to before and after that in, uh, interaction, knowing that it may be a bit challenging. It's going back to those implementation intentions we talked about, your if-then plan. If this person says this, I'm going to do that. If they come, you know, if they bring this up, I'm going to respond by taking a breath and saying this. So you, you mm -hmm. troubleshoot beforehand. Prepare okay. your energy. The second step is using what's called soft influence. I call it smart influence, but it, it's called soft influence, where you need to get them to change their perspective in a really gentle way so that it doesn't backfire and they you know, it become hostile. Soft influence is where you guide a conversation. You guide someone to open up their perspective by using language like, have you considered? Would you be open to hearing? Uh, when it comes to giving any kind of feedback or any kind of, I mean, we always say don't give unsolicited advice. Ask someone first if they want to hear it because yeah. I think none of us want someone to come up to us and say, hey, you're doing this wrong, do it this way. It, it's uh, <laughs> we don't like it no. again it feels like they're trying to undermine our self-efficacy but if they were to ask hey I have a suggestion for how this might be easier would you like to hear it it does two things you're prefacing what you're going to say so the person is more open because you've signaled to them what's coming but you're also giving them a say in the matter which is called autonomy autonomy is choice victimizers feel like they have no choices they feel powerless so you can give them a little bit of that sense of choice by asking I have something that I feel like could help you. Would you be open to hearing it? Or have you considered doing it this way? You're not telling them something, you're guiding them. That can be really helpful. But you're still going to need to protect your energy before and after those interactions. So what are the other ones we got? Okay. So we had, just to recap, we had number one was the classic judge. Number two is the protector. Number three was the victimizer. Number four, we've talked about the ringmaster. 
Okay. You're stuck in destination obsession. You're guilty when you, you feel guilty when you stop working. Number five is what we call the neglector. The neglector is a really interesting one. Have you ever met someone who just gives so much of themselves? And it's a beautiful yes. thing, but you realize that when you get to know them a little better, they're doing it out of compulsion and they're actually exhausted. And it's too much and you know it's, it's not healthy. too much. Yes. Exactly. I know people like that. Yep. They're givers, constant givers. They're so generous with their time and their attention and their love and their care. A lot of the time, I mean, look, sometimes there are people who are genuinely driven to be of service and it's beautiful. Sometimes there are people who are driven to do this because they don't feel worthy of setting boundaries. So they say That's yes sad. to every... It, it's extremely sad. When people don't feel worthy, when they feel so inadequate that that voice in their head is telling them, you need to make other people happy, otherwise you are nothing. People, and this also feeds that need for validation that a lot of people have. I will sacrifice what's important to me so that other people are happy because then they will be happy with me and all will be well with the world. This is that neglector. It's telling you to neglect yourself in place of other people's needs and wants and desires. And we know what now, happens with these people. Go for it, Tom. No, I was just going to say, it sounds to me, so I have the ringmaster and then this other person has, what's the one we're talking about now? What do you, what's the neglector. The neglector. So we all have, everyone who's listening or watching kind of falls into one of these, right? So for me, my inner critic, the fear is, hey, Tom, it's actually kind of helping you because, by the way, all that yelling got you to do a lot of shit. Yeah. So, you know, and be successful at a lot of things. So if it goes away, maybe you get fat and lazy and don't do anything. And the person you're talking about now who wants to give, 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 and that's where they get their feeling from self, you know, their feeling of worth from. If we stop doing that, then who am I or or what am I? So it sounds like all of us in these buckets that you just put us in, there's something inside that needs to be fixed. You know, there's there's something in, in us. What Healed. is that? What, is there a word for that? Heal. There you go. That's a, that's a nicer yeah. word. But what, what do you call that? What What is that? That That is it an identity thing that we, or a perspective we have to shift to get to the root of this? Yes. Yes, you touched on it. Identity. What we hear so much of is exactly what you said. If I give away this part of myself, who am I? This is the part of me. The ringmaster is the part of me that has pushed me to achieve so much. The neglector is the part of me that makes sure everyone around me is happy. And then I think I'm happy. If I give that part away, I don't know who I am. And this is what can happen when you've been living with this voice for so long. It's like a roommate that just never left. Always yep. there listening through the walls, correcting you when you try and go on a different path. And it comes down to your identity. How are you seeing yourself? For so long, when you've had this as a part of you, you see yourself as that thing. And look, we need to acknowledge that there are parts of us that have propelled us to get to where we are. The question we need to ask ourselves, though, is are we truly happy? And that's a question that we need to really deeply think about because a lot of people who are driven by the ringmaster in achievement addiction, you ask them, are you happy? And they're like, absolutely. I've written the book. I've started 10 businesses. I've got a net worth of X. Bullshit. Be exactly, right? When people are defining themselves by their achievements, they're not happy. They think they're happy, no. but they're not. And that's often why they keep doing it, because they're in search of happiness and fulfillment, and they think it's going to come at the end of that next business success or whatever. If I get that next job, for. if I get that car, if I yes. get that house, if I get then that relationship, then I'll be happy. You get it? You know, they're not happy. Oh, that, that language of then I'll be happy, do you know what that does to us? Mm -mm. It's so damaging because what we're doing is when I get there, then I'll be happy. What is that telling you? What is that telling your subconscious about now? It's telling you happy. that you are not happy. And so you're living this life where you're reinforcing the state of not being happy, always feeling inadequate, always feeling like you need to do more. And you're never going to get there. So a big part of it is changing your identity. One, and I mean, look, this is a big topic, right? People go to therapy for <laughs> decades and never get there. So a really of simple course. tool that I found very helpful. I'm a big fan of to-do lists. I love when I'm feeling overwhelmed. Last night, it was 11 p.m. I needed to get to sleep because, uh, you know, I wanted to be fresh for the next day. 
And I had all these thoughts running around in my head and I thought, I'm going to write a to-do list. So I grabbed my phone, which is not good because the blue light, but anyway, I did it. And I just wrote my to-do list and I felt so much better. Love to-do lists, love ticking them off. When it comes to overcoming these identity challenges that we have, write a to-be list. And a to-be list is visualizing the person that you want to be, writing down all your qualities to be curious, to be passionate, to be service-oriented, to be challenging the status quo, to be empowering people to live lives they never dreamed of. Write your to-be list. Identify with that future version of yourself. And then in your present, when you're making decisions about where to spend your time, who to spend your time with, what to do, ask, is this taking me closer to that person I want to be? Look at that to-be list. Is this taking me closer to this or is it taking me further away? And what you'll find over time is that the actions that are not serving you. So just a quick note on this. We only do things that we believe serve us, that we believe serve us. A lot of the time, they don't serve us objectively. So this is a practice of getting really objective and saying, these things that I'm doing now, I think they're serving me because, hey, I'm getting their approval and, hey, I'm, I'm working so hard. But is it really getting me to that future identity that I want? And you might hmm. find that that in itself is enough to quieten those critics. You reclaim control. You still listen to them. They're going to be there. But you say, okay, I hear you. I know you're trying to protect me in some way. The neglector is trying to protect you from the pain of criticism and judgment. Interestingly, when we look at some of these studies that came out when they were looking at how criticism and social rejection impacts the brain, this was done at UCLA, uh, they found that the parts of the brain activated when we experience physical pain are the same parts activated when we experience social pain of rejection, of criticism, of failure. So sometimes it, it does worse. hurt. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's worse than pain, you know? Exactly, because it lasts and it eats us yep. up. And so the neglector is trying to protect us from that. The ringmaster is trying to protect us from falling short of what we believe we can be, you know, all these things. You need to remind yourself, it's trying to protect me. It's misguided. I'm going to align with my to-be list and then take action based on who I want to be. And that can be really powerful. You know, I love that. And if that's the only nugget, I mean, you've given so many nuggets. I mean, but that is the, uh, the most valuable thing I've heard today and maybe all week. I mean, that's a real thing you could do that doesn't involve finding a therapist sitting there for 10 years. That's something like the person watching this or listening, like you could do that right now. And it leads me kind of the next point that I've heard you talk a lot about. Talk about like, I mean, it's one of my favorite books ever, right? The power of positive thinking, but then also the power of negative thoughts too. You know, how important are our thoughts and do they become reality? Yeah, they absolutely do. Our external reality is determined by our internal reality. And what I mean by that is we're not objective. We are entirely subjective creatures who perceive the world through our eyes and process it through our brain. So Tom and I can be in exactly the same room experiencing the same thing and perceive it completely differently. Yep. And this is why you can have people in the same environment. One of them takes the challenge as an opportunity and thrives and the other one just crumbles. Now, it is worth saying that a big part of us, you know, we are a product of our past and we're a product of every experience that we've had in our early childhood upbringing and our relationship with our parents and our traumas. We are a product of our past. We cannot change that, but we can change our future. We don't have to be a prisoner to that. And just on this, there's really fascinating insights when we look at the world of post-traumatic stress. What a lot of people believe and what the research has told us is when there is a really highly traumatic experience, many people will experience PTSD as a result and carry that with them. And it's very challenging for them to work through. But not everyone experiences that. There is also something called post-traumatic growth, which I think we need to talk about more, which is where okay. people in the same traumatic experience objectively actually grow from it and become stronger. They don't deny that it happened. It comes down to something called narrative identity, which is the story that they tell about, about it. And the story they tell themselves about themselves in that situation and the stories they tell others. So going back to your question, which is around thoughts, our thoughts are reflecting our beliefs. There's something called the cognitive model of behavior where our thoughts influence how we feel. It influences what we feel in and on our body, our emotion, our heart rate, and then that influences what we do. 
when we get to that feeling component and the thoughts component, a lot of it is driven by our inner critics. What are our critics telling us? What is that self-doubt telling us? And then we will act on that. The fascinating thing about positive and negative thoughts, there was some research that was done many years back, and they found that positive thoughts are effective or powerful. Negative thoughts can actually be more powerful than positive thoughts in terms of determining action. I believe And all that. you have yep. to do is think of this, completely, right? All you have to do is think of the social media comments. You might get 99 <laughs> beautiful, loving comments, and you get one person who didn't like the message, or you, or what do you focus on? That you one. can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> Fuck the 99 good ones. What, why does that asshole hate me? Yep. Exactly. We get consumed oh, yeah. by that. Yep. And it's, it, it's how it works. The brain is wired to focus on the negative because it wants to protect us. These inner critics are trying to protect us. They will highlight this negativity. And then it can completely change how we feel, how we act. And that's why we need to be so aware of what are we thinking. Now, the reality is a lot of us are not even aware of what we're thinking. And that's why practices like meditation, practices like journaling are so valuable. Because you quieten all the chatter. And when it comes to meditation, you're either meditating on one thing or allowing these thoughts to just come and go and being still and present and mindful. And same with journaling. You're being present and mindful, but you're capturing your stream of consciousness. These are beautiful practices that all of us can implement. I think, you know... I love the world that we live in now where therapy has become so normalized. I love that because we are not given a user manual to our brain. When we're born, we're not given a guide like here, here's how to operate the human body, go out and live. We just have to figure it out. And there are people who have expertise in helping people figure themselves out. So I love that we're talking about these things. You know, therapy, meditation used to be something that wouldn't really be talked about. But now it's so common. Especially guys so would never... Especially men would never talk about mental health or therapy or meditation. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Never. It was seen as weak. Of course. And yet yep. now it's, I think on the topic of, of men, there's so much work that society needs to do. It's great to see people like you who are so open about talking about these things. But there's so much work that I think society needs to do to encourage everybody to just become more open about what they're experiencing. And yep. acknowledge that, hey, we are human. It's beautiful. It's also challenging and messy and all these other things that come with it. When you can connect with someone on that point, you actually forge such a deeper connection. Uh, but going you back know, to the voice, thoughts, so important. Yeah, I was just going to talk about therapy. I've been going for 10 years tomorrow, every Friday, 9 a.m. Tomorrow I'll see Liz. Shout out Liz, my therapist. But <laughs> as far as journaling goes, the way I journal, it was almost um, out of necessity because Every Friday, 9 a.m., I know I'm going to see Liz, right? I, I, I'm a creature of habit. I'm a goal setter. Hey, I'm not going to miss that appointment, right? No matter what. But a lot of times after a while, I'd be in a good mood, say, Friday at 9 o'clock. And she'd go, you know, hey, what's on your mind? Nothing. Feel great. Like, it's going to be a short <laughs> session, right? I don't have the ability to remember the emotions I felt Wednesday. There's no... I don't know if that's just me. Is that a common thing? Like for me, what I do is I had to go when I'm feeling super anxious or I'm feeling down or I'm feeling angry. I just grab my phone, my notes app, and I write what I'm feeling then. Because when Friday comes around, now I go, she goes, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. I feel good. Oh, wait a minute. I think I wrote something Wednesday. Oh my God. Look at what I wrote. What the hell was I going through? Let's talk about that. Um, do Is that true? Do pe are people uh, able to remember those emotions they felt a couple days ago when presently they're in a good space or no, does it help to have no. that journal or that record? <laughs> in of short, it? yeah, in short, no, no. We're, we're very bad at remembering emotional experiences, especially peak positive or peak negative experiences. When we're in a really positive state, there's something called broaden and build. It's Barbara Fredrickson's theory. When we're in a really positive state, Life is just easier. We remember more positive things, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. So, and you probably notice this, when you wake up and you feel fantastic, the day is great. And the week of is course. great and you'll, everything is wonderful. People are easy to deal with. You know, you don't have any road rage to deal with on the road. When you wake up and it's an off morning, uh, you're already late, you've got the road rage on the road, everyone's being weird, you know, and it just compounds. So what's so valuable about what you're doing is in the moment when you're experiencing that peak negative emotion, you're capturing it, which firstly helps you process it in the moment so you don't ruminate on it and get stuck. Because when True. we think about stress, 
And stress is broader than what we think. We think stress is, okay, deadlines have been shortened, you feel stress. Stress is any kind of response we have to a situation where we don't feel like we have the tools to handle it. And we get that stress reaction. It can be anxiety. It can be all of these things. When we're experiencing stress, we notice things that reinforce our stress state. And it's confirmation bias. And so when you're in that state, processing it is really valuable because ruminating on it, keeping it in your head is only going to make things worse. You're going to notice more things to get you stressed. And then you create, I heard this beautiful thing uh, recently and it stuck with me. Actually, it wasn't recent. It was years ago. But in my mind, I feel like that's still recent. In any case, I think anything post-pandemic is like recent, you know, three years <laughs> it ago. It is, recent. sure. Um, it was that an emotion comes in the moment in response to a stimulus. So something will have happened to trigger a negative emotion. If we keep thinking about that emotion for hours and days to come, it becomes a mood. We actually fundamentally shift our mood and the people around us will feel that. And then if we're in that state for a prolonged period, guess what? It can become our personality. It shifts our personality traits. And so I found that really interesting because it's true. We have an emotion in response to something. So if you can capture it there and then, an audio note or capturing it in your phone, you're capturing the stimulus and response. And then you can leave it and then talk to it, you know, talk about it with Liz when you have your, <laughs> your sessions on Fridays. <laughs> you know, we're almost out of time. The other thing I wanted to talk to that um, I heard you talk about too that I thought was really valuable. We talked about the power of positive thoughts, the power of negative thoughts, but you also talked about you had a word for you have you have all these great words that of course i don't remember any of them but you were talking about basically the the power of the people you surround yourself with and it kind of reminded me of when you were saying before kind of like hey who what's the idealized version of me i'm going to write that down that's the person i want to be how do the people you surround yourself kind of play into either kind of get you closer to that or get you further away and kind of what can you do about that there's this anecdotal quote which says that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think we've all heard some version of that. And I was really curious to know if that was based on any scientific evidence. So I went out in search of the research and there is none. So it's not, that's not, the number five is not validated anywhere. However, what is validated is the fact that we are so deeply influenced by the people we spend time with and a lot of it is unknowingly. It's outside of conscious awareness. If we think about how we developed our earliest beliefs, it was a result of the experiences we had with our primary caregivers and our parents and the people we spent time with. They influenced our base levels of confidence, our base levels of self-worth, our basic beliefs about our worthiness. That was influenced by them. Now, mm -hmm. as adults, we are still, we're still like sponges. We're just a little bit harder <laughs> than, than the sponges we were when we were kids. The influence of others cannot be... Uh, overemphasized because when we're around people who believe in us and our potential, we are more likely to live up to that because we have no reason to doubt. People believe we're going to do great things. Well, hey, and I had this early experience. Tom, you might have had an experience like this as well early on. I had an experience where I was working in the corporate world. I was early on, a very young, bright-eyed, green and this general manager, he had a team of 2,000. He called me into his office. I was new to his team. And he, I don't remember what he said at the beginning, but at the end of it, he said, Shade, you're going to do amazing things. I have high hopes for you. And for me, he, I mean, he barely knew anything about me. He probably said that to everybody. But <laughs> hearing him say that to me in that moment opened something up within me. And I did exceptional things in that role. Because I felt like, hey, he believes in me. I can believe in me. I can do this. It's almost like I have permission. Whereas if he'd said to me, okay, you're going to find it really difficult here. Don't dream too big. Then I would have <laughs> gone out and done that, right? Probably wouldn't yeah. have been the right environment to be in. Not a very good leader. But the people were around. Now, that's a really obvious example. The less obvious example is friends, friendship groups, business associates. What do they say? What are they commenting when we share an idea with them? How are they responding in times of conflict? How do they respond to us? Do we feel like they respect us and look up to us? Because if they do, we're going to be more likely to live up to that. So mm -hmm. super important to be aware of who you're spending time with, not only their beliefs about us, but also just their energy. 
you know, Tom, have you ever been with around someone and anyone listening, have you been around someone and they're just so positive and optimistic that you can't help but feel that rub off onto you? You feel energized every time you talk to them and you, you want that? You keep going back? Yes. We've experienced that. Similarly, have you been around someone who's just negative and a pessimist, always coming up with a, you know, a problem for every solution, and then yep. we take that with us? Emotional contagion. Emotions are contagious because of what happens in our brain. We're hardwired to feel empathy, which is a beautiful thing on the one hand. The other hand is that we need to be so aware of who we're spending time with because we will mirror what they're experiencing and then take that with us. So okay, use now your to-be talk... list. Super quickly, well, use on. that to-be list. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you well, I, of course, I know what you're saying, but I'm saying, okay, let's get to the real world. Okay, let's get to the real yeah. world, all right? Friends, we can pick kind of, you know, who we surround ourselves with. Sometimes coworker, we can't. We're stuck with them, right? Sometimes we have a mother who maybe is the victim that we can't get rid of. We're kind of stuck with, right? So we only have so much control of kind of who we can surround ourselves with. We can, you know, mix some people in and out, but sometimes we're stuck with people who maybe aren't the most positive, you know, beings in our life. What do we do with them? How do we not avoid getting kind of sucked into the darkness? <laughs> Mm, sucked into the darkness by the negative energy vampires. Yes. It's really important to firstly be aware that your interactions with these people are going to be draining. If they're people that you you have in your life and you don't have the, the choice around, for example, the friendship group, use your if-then plans. Use your implementation intentions, which is if I, I'm going to go and interact with, let's say, your mother, who is a victim. I'm going to go in and spend some time with my mother. If she starts going on one of her rants about how challenging her life is and how she's the victim, then I will count to three in my head, take a deep breath, and just be present with her. And rather than allowing myself to be embroiled in what she's doing, I'm going to observe. Because I may be the only person she has to talk to about this. Right? So we can use those implementation intentions to be there for those people without getting sucked in. We know from research that You'll be two times more likely to achieve that goal of I'm not going to get sucked in if you develop those if-then intentions because you're essentially Ooh. mentally rehearsing something before it happens. So that's if you want to be with these people. I have someone close to me in my life who is the ultimate victim. And it's playing out in her relationships. It's playing out in her work. She doesn't have anybody. In fact, the only other person that she had has chosen to leave because they can't be there. And so I have to remind myself, I'm the only person she has. So how can I prepare myself to go into that? Of course, that doesn't mean I'm there every second whenever she needs me because I need to set a boundary too. If you're a neglector, you might be, you know, a neglector is a giver. Give your time, your energy. You will be terribly abused by takers. And I don't mean physically abused. I mean, you know, your time will be abused. Your love will be abused. So yep. you need to protect yourself. Hey, I'm going to be available for an hour a month for a phone call to be there for this person. And then I'm, I'm going to say, I'd love to meet you. I'm very busy at the moment. Let's meet next month. Right? So that's if you want to be there for the person. If you don't want to be there for the person, which again, your call, you're going to protect yourself. You can lovingly start to remove yourself from their life. Let them know you're still thinking about them. Hey, I'm thinking about you. Haven't been able to reach out, super busy, but know that you're in my thoughts. Sometimes that's all you need. You don't need to go and be with that person so they suck everything out of you. You can just say, hey, I'm thinking of you. And then the duration between those texts will lengthen and then things will fizzle. There are always things we can do. We need to remind ourselves we can take action. And taking action for what is right for us, not out of selfishness or ego, but so that we can be the best for the people that are important to us. And so we can be the best for the impact that we want to have. That's really transformational. You know, I think that is a great thing to end on. And really, that is really why I like your content and you so much is because it's real actionable things. And you just dropped one now and you've probably dropped a dozen or more during this. So thank you so much. I think it's so valuable in kind of what you do. And again, you have content for however we want to consume it. Just like you're like a good creator, right? You got a little bit, little nuggets on TikTok. If we got 30 seconds, you got long form on YouTube. You're everywhere. So I really kind of appreciate the work you do and you're providing it for kind of a bunch of different demos 
who all kind of share these common themes that we talked about. We all go through these regardless of our age or income or profession, you know, self-doubt, the inner critic. These are things that I think are common to most people on this earth. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. And if our social media responses and comments are anything we go by, people are searching for guidance and help. So we're blessed to do what we do. Now, I'll quickly just mention for anyone listening, if you want to find out which mind pit you're stuck in, because I would, (laughs) I absolutely would. We have a little self-assessment that you can do. Nine questions you can ask yourself to determine which of the three that you're actually stuck in and then simple tangible tools you can use to pull yourself back out. You can find that at shadezarai.com slash mindpits. So S-H-A-D-E-Z-A-H-R-A-I.com slash mindpits. It's just mind and pits, one word. So hopefully you can jump in there and see if that's of value to you. And you don't have to remember that if you're driving your car, listen to this on the podcast. We'll include it in the show notes everywhere, along with links to everywhere we can find you. So once again, thank you so much. And guys, thank you so much for watching and listening. And make sure you subscribe for new interviews every Tuesday with the most successful people in the world who teach us how to elevate our lives. It is time to level up. And now we're going to play a new game where we ask 10 rapid fire questions that will give us tips on how to improve our lives. It's called the level up. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube, this is where our story ends. We're going to post this video separately on Thursday. It'll be on the audio podcast, so you can listen to it there. But if you're watching this a week from now, just go to the next video and you'll see that. So thank you so much, guys. Thanks for watching. Thank you so much. Guys, now we're going to play a new game where we ask 10 rapid fire questions that will give us tips on how to improve our lives. It's called the level up. So we're going to ask you 10 questions and you've got 30 seconds to answer them before we move on to the next one. Now, if you don't answer within 30 seconds, you're going to hear that annoying buzzer. All right. So I'm going to start my time now. What's that? It's like, get off the stage. (laughs) So I'm going to start the time once I finish asking the question, okay? What's the worst job you've had and what did it teach you? The worst job I had was a waitress job early in my life and we had no training. So I was making these sandwiches with way too much bacon and everyone was complaining. It taught me about the importance of guidance and having someone provide you with instruction or asking questions. I was too nervous to ask questions and just ended up in lots of unhappy people. So ask questions, don't be afraid of it. What advice do you have for young entrepreneurs? Don't wait. Waiting is the enemy of growth. Of course, be prepared, do what you need to, but don't make perfection your standard. Lower your standards, expectation minimalism, rather than wait, aiming for 100%, aim for 60%. Aim for 60, do what you can. It gives you room to learn and grow, which is the most beautiful thing you can do. How do we overcome self-doubt? I don't know how to answer this in 30 seconds. I will try. (laughs) Remind yourself that there is a part of you that doubts because it's trying to keep you safe. It's trying to protect you. You can say to it, look, I hear you. I hear you, but I'm not going to obey you. I appreciate you're trying to keep me safe, but I have these steps I'm going to follow. I have resources I can seek. Uh, This is my plan and I'm going to go for it and keep an open mind so that whatever happens, I will learn and grow. You're killing it. We haven't hit 30 seconds yet. You haven't heard the buzzer. I'm dying to use it. I'm afraid of that noise. (laughs) It's horrible. It reminds me of, I don't know, it reminds me of something from my childhood. Uh. (laughs) What are some habits that have helped you become successful? Every morning before I open my eyes, actually, that's a lie. I will turn off my alarm and then I will close my eyes. I will say three things that I'm grateful for. And they're usually the same things. But I repeat three things that I'm grateful for because the brain is wired to magnify what you focus on. If you start with gratitude, you will notice more things to be grateful for and it can transform your life. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Early in my career, I was fixated on everything I couldn't do. And I met with a mentor and I told her, look, I don't think I'm going to succeed in this organization. I was working in a corporate. I I can't do financial modeling. I don't know this. I don't know that. She said, Shade, stop focusing on what you can't do. Focus on what you can do because that's why you're here. Bring your strengths to life. And it transformed how I approach things. Rather than focusing on lack, I focused on contribution and growth. And it's the best piece of advice that I received. Twice, just in case I missed it the first time. What's your morning routine? My morning routine is either my alarm will go off or I'll just wake up naturally. I'll close my eyes and say my morning gratitude. I wake up and do morning yoga because my body's really tight. I'll have my breakfast while I'm eating. I'll meditate on my intentions for the day. And then usually it's a huggle with my husband where we talk about what our plans are and how we're going to execute. 
Wow, that's nice. What's one thing that you've regretted the most and what did it teach you? This is a really great question and it's hard because I don't see things as regret. I don't see things as failure. So whenever someone asks me about regrets or failure, I struggle because I always focus on the learning and the growth. I probably spent too long working in an organization doing things I didn't enjoy when I should have been out helping people be their best selves. That's the biggest um, thing I would do again if I could do it. What motivated you throughout your career to keep going until you succeeded? For me, success is about impact. So I feel successful when I know I'm having an impact in people's lives. And that is the most beautiful motivator because it means it's not about me, it's not about what I achieve, it's actually about the people whose lives I touch. And for my husband and I in our business, that's exactly what drives us. And we love it. We're so grateful. This is so outside my comfort zone. I love this. I love, really I love seeing you response. kind of squirm. This is nice. Well, don't worry. I'm not asking oh you anything. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking you anything yeah. crazy. Hold on. What's the best financial decision you've ever made? The best financial decision I've ever made is not to be in debt. We live a 100% debt-free life. We, as soon as we could get out of debt, we did. That was our priority. And we're so thankful we did that because it means that we're not a slave to debt. That's great advice for anyone. What advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Other people's opinions are important only so much as use them to help them. So allow other people's opinions and thoughts as a guide for you to determine how can you be of impact to them. But don't allow that to sway you from your path because it will derail you. And validation, the need for validation can be so destructive taking you away from what's truly important to you. I hate because that was so good, but it was good to get one more, one more buzz in. <laughs> and I got in there right at the end. Right at the end. <laughs> well, thank you so much for playing this. I mean, it makes people uncomfortable, but I think that was great nuggets. And we can chop those up and give them to you for social media too if you want some of those for your socials. Amazing. Thanks, Tom. This was so much fun. Thank you for doing what you do and the service that you're providing. It's, it's beautiful to meet people like you who are so driven to be of impact and seeing what you create. It's been a treat to be here. It's a, the way I look at it is like, I get to learn something from every single person I talk to. So selfishly, this is like a selfish pursuit. Like I get to meet interesting people, learn something <laughs> and like, oh, cool. If pe other people get to learn, that's great, I guess. <laughs> The best kind of win-win. The best. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Um, I wish you all the success Thanks, in the Tom. world. And I'll probably post this next week. Thank so you. I'll send you everything Sounds you need. Sounds great. All right? Amazing. Look forward to it. Enjoy the day. All right. Thank you. You or too. Enjoy the evening. Enjoy the evening. All right. Enjoy your thank day. Thank you. Bye. Bye.